It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Access Atlanta, your weekly look at what's fun, entertaining, and educational in and around Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Let's start by addressing the return of cancellations and postponements. This weekend, the calendar will take us into a new year, and sadly, many of the events planned to mark the occasion have been canceled or been moved into next year, including the return of the Peach Drop and concerts by Widespread Panic and the Indigo Girls. Some events are likely to go on, but outdoor activities are probably your best bet. Garden Nights Holiday Lights at the Atlanta Botanical Garden is one of the most enchanting ways to spend an evening during the holiday season. The most spectacular part of the experience is Nature's Wonders, which the garden calls the largest curtain of synchronized light and sound in the world. It's a genuinely awe-inspiring marvel that will put even the grinchiest holiday skeptic in a festive mood. Prices range from $21.95 to $59.95, and the lights will shine daily through January 15th from 5 until 10 p.m. Get all the details at atlantabg.org and check the calendar in GoGuide or go to accessatlanta.com for more info. Stay tuned for more events later in the podcast, and after the featured conversation, we'll take a look at what the AJC is bringing you this week, both online and in print. But first, we'll hear about an Atlanta band that has become a phenomenon. It all started with a theme night back in 2007 when some local musicians turned a compilation of soft rock hits into a set list at 10 High in the basement of the Dark Horse Tavern. But nobody on stage had any idea this was the genesis of what would become Yacht Rock Review, and that 14 years later, seven of the musicians from that 10 High gig, three of whom are named Mark, would play many of those same songs in front of 6,000 cheering fans at Cadence Bank Amphitheater at Chastain Park. It's truly a phenomenon, and Rodney Ho has written about the band, and he spoke with one of the band members about their unexpected career for this week's podcast. He's here to bring us that conversation. Welcome, Rodney. Hey, Shane. I, I actually spoke with three of them. <laughs> oh, you spoke with three of them. Yeah, okay. and, and Nick, wow. Nick, is the, Nick is the lead singer. Yeah. Um, Mark Cobb is the drummer who was part of his original band as well. And uh, Monkey Boy, who is another Mark, Mark Donnell's, but he goes right. by Monkey Boy. Um, yeah. he's, a guitar, he's a lead guitarist. So okay. they're three very entertaining dudes. Um, yeah. It was uh, fascinating. It's funny. I, I was the first guy to ever write about them back in 2009. I, I was, you know, writing Peach Buzz items and I was at the uh, Dunwoody Beer Festival in the parking lot of Perimeter Mall 
for some other reason. And I heard them and I, I went up to stage and they were dressed up in these uh, yacht, you know, these yacht uniforms. And they were playing like Little Genie by Elton John and Silly Love Songs by The Wings. And I was captivated because I'm really cheesy that way. And I decided to write a piece about them back in 2009, not thinking it would be anything that would be more than like this one or two year, you know, it was a joke. It seemed like a joke in a sense. Right. I mean, right. And, yeah, and well, I mean, with it. yeah, most people who, you know, well, they 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 used to be a band band and then they did. Three of them part. were part of Y.O.U., which was actually right. a pretty popular local band in the mid 2000s. They never got a big break. They didn't get that contract. And at that point in 2007, when this Yacht Rock night came along, they were ready to just hang up. Yeah, they're ready to give it up. I mean, they were done. One of them, you know, Nick, the lead singer was already like taking classes at law school, you know, yeah. and one of them was, you know, just, you know, working at a assisted living place and was thinking of moving out of town. So it was just one of those situations where, you know, you hit 30 and you're like, or 35 and you're like, I've been doing this music thing for so long, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe I should actually get a real job. <laughs> right. Know? And nobody expects to become a cover band and make a career of it. Oh, yeah. Believe me, it's there's, you know, there's definitely a stigma attached to being, look, there's wedding bands and then there's cover bands. It's like they're, they're not considered like real bands to people necessarily. Right. But, um, you yeah, know, these are all great musicians. Um, they were all, like I said, a little bit older. They had a little perspective. And once they started getting some success uh, with Yacht Rock Review, they decided to just run with it. And, you know, he's he's often not like acknowledged within the band. But Peter Olson, I think, is the guy who started the company Please Rock. And they, you know, they created like a side uh, band called Yacht Rock Schooner you might hear around town in Atlanta. And they're kind of like the ones, since Yacht Rock Review is too popular to do the smaller bars around town, uh, Yacht Rock Schooner does that for them. So it's like, and if they need a, a fill-in or, or a band member to fill in for the main band, they've got already a, a group of people at Yacht Rock Schooner who could fill in the blanks for them. And they, you know, they have a Beatles cover band. They've, they've got other bands on their roster and they own Venkman's and Old Fourth Ward. So they're a wow. business too. Yeah. They've, they've got employees, they've got 401k and salaries. It's, you know, and Peter Olson, I think is the business guy and he's helped build this into a real thing, which I find yeah. fascinating. That's yeah. great. I mean, in the music business where, you know, nothing is, is for certain and uh, you often don't know where your next paycheck's coming from, there's something to be said for creating a business like this. Oh, that, uh, yeah. I mean, and being salaried as a musician in this situation, that's great, right? I mean, you get paid very well, too, and you get adoring fans. You get to play with other, yeah, and, and they're well-respected musicians, you know, and a lot of these Yacht Rock groups, you know, like Robbie Dupree and Ambrosia, who are going to be performing with them in Jamaica in February, th their careers have been helped by right. Yacht Rock Review's popularity, which is, right. again, bizarre to think a cover band could help the actual artists, but that yeah. happened. <laughs> well, it just goes to show that uh, nostalgia is big business. It can be if you do it well. And I think that's yeah. what, you know, there are a lot of copycat bands out there. I love some of the names of them. Um, Yachtly Crew is my favorite name out of Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> but there's a bunch of them, you know, Holland Boats. You know, there, there are a bunch of silly names and, and groups out there. But I, I think Yacht Rock Review were the first ones really out there and that they're probably the best ones too. You know, it's. Yeah. All right. Well, that's great. And and uh, we should also mention that Rodney has written a story uh, about the band, which you can read online at accessatlanta.com or ajc.com uh, and it's also uh, in the Sunday paper in the living and arts section um, so check it out there 
And uh, thanks so much for bringing us this conversation, Rodney. Oh, it was a lot of fun to report and uh, hope people enjoy it. All right. Well, let's hear from the guys in Yacht Rock Review. Hey, this is Rodney Poe with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I am here with three members of Yacht Rock Review. And um, I recently did a big Sunday piece on these guys. And uh, it was fascinating because I've actually heard of and known them for a good bulk of their time. I Back in 2009, I was at a beer festival in Dunwoody and saw them on stage and instantly became wrapped and wrote a short piece about them and was even more fascinated over the years as I watched their uh, career progress. Uh, that Yacht Rock Review was not just a two or three year uh, in and out type of thing, but kept on getting bigger and bigger. Uh, so I wanted to talk to them about how this all happened. Uh, my my sense is that none of them expected this to happen either. So uh, it's always fun to explore a phenomenon that nobody ever expected. So uh, Nick, uh, you're kind of the captain of the ship, right? <laughs> or the yacht, in a way. Uh, yes, in the sense that we have a <laughs> rudder, and not to call us rudderless, but maybe we're rudderless. I don't know. <laughs> well, or you guys... Yeah, uh, two of you guys. I have I have Mark Cobb and uh, Monkey Boy and and Nick uh, on on here on the podcast. And uh, two of you guys were actually part of a band that, if folks are familiar with the local music scene, uh, YOU were were uh, you know they had a a thing going back in the two thousands. Uh, tell me a little bit about YOU and how that kind of segued into this. Yeah, we started YOU in Bloomington. Indiana, where we all went to school, me and Peter and Cobb, and we moved to Atlanta and wanted to like make it in the music business. And uh, I'd like to think we got pretty close, but never we never really got like uh, any offers for a record deal. Like I had friends, bands, you know, like the Wigs got an awesome record deal with ATO, and our friends in Second Shift got flown up to New York and did a big showcase for columbia and we're really close to getting signed but i don't i don't feel like we ever got close to getting signed it uh, never got the big break but people liked you around here i mean you definitely had a following here in atlanta right i mean there's no doubt <laughs> you guys yeah i mean it felt like there was a time when us getting signed was inevitable like everyone in the music scene just assumed that we were the next band that was going to get signed and it was all going to happen for us but then it just never did uh which is one of the biggest disappointments of my life i'm not going to lie didn't you guys get like voted like top 10 bands of MySpace and Rolling Stone or something? There was we totally so did, yes. <laughs> MySpace. We out of yeah. MySpace. So there you go. Take that. <laughs> um, oh, by two by the time 2007 rolled around, uh Nick, you you actually entered law school, right? You were like, I'm I'm in my I'm about, I just hit 30. I guess I gotta have a, a real career. <laughs> Yeah, I tried law school right when we were starting Yacht Rock, and it uh, became very clear that those two things were not going to be compatible. The trajectory that Yacht Rock was taking very early on made it obvious. So I only racked up a, a manageable size of debt uh, in my <laughs> aborted law school attempt. <laughs> well, back in the fall of 2007, uh this place called Ten High in Virginia Highlands, they 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 were uh, seeking some, uh, you know, I, I guess you guys had a connection, right, with, with the folks at Ten High at that moment? Yeah, Curtis told us we could do whatever we want every Thursday. Curtis Clark, who still 
runs Metalsome down there. Uh, he's turned out live band karaoke. If you yeah. want to do live band karaoke, it's still there, uh, like five nights a week or something at this point. Yeah, yeah. But he he was like, he couldn't find a good thing for Thursday, and he was like, "Oh, those YOU guys are creative. We'll just let them do whatever they want." And so yeah, we did whatever we wanted. <laughs> yeah, you did these rock fights, which were pretty popular too, right? You, you had two bands that yeah, you would like play music from two different bands for the entire night, right? We did, yeah. What were uh, what was your favorite rock fight, Mark Cobb? What what Mark what what rock fight was yours? Uh, that's tough because I think they all were designed as a way for us to get our get our collective rocks off. It was like, you know, we can't dedicate enough of our bandwidth to doing a a Zeppelin a full time Zeppelin tribute. But let's pick our ten favorite songs and also incorporate like the Who. Uh, and I think a lot of that was how like our Beatles tribute was born and a lot of the things that we were able to do over the years outside of just Yacht Rock, even special tributes like doing Michael Jackson's Thriller or Prince's Purple Rain came out of us like, hey, learn these 10 songs if you don't already know them. Show up, we'll sound check, maybe have a rehearsal. But it wasn't like, I mean, I, we rehearsed more as our original band than we ever did for these tributes. And I felt like there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of creative juices flowing musically just because we were all so excited to do something where we didn't have to put our own, you know, original spin on things. It was like, people are just going to come to see the, you know, the, 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 either the band that they love or us attempt to play these songs. My favorite, I don't know. Um, so well, you did I, one I with really like Hall and Oates versus uh, who, who did you, you did in excess or something. Some you know, comments. honestly, uh, I have a special place in my heart for Mellencamp growing up in Indiana and just being exposed to not only him, but like, you know, I recorded my first record in a recording studio with this funk band in college called Flattis. We recorded at Larry Crane's studio in Bloomington. There were just, there was so much of a reminder of Mellencamp's presence growing up. So doing, Honestly, it was like the first time I had played, you know, Mellencamp songs. And it was like we had a fiddle player. I mean, we, we went all out. Like we really got to you, dig you did your pink houses stuff. and your Jack and Diane's. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> For those out there who are not Hoosiers, Larry Crane is uh, one of Mellencamp's guitar players. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Yacht Rock was just one of your theme nights, right? I mean, it, that's it not, was no, kind of not common knowledge. Larry Crane. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll just keep talking about Larry Crane. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I want to pivot back to Larry Crane here. <laughs> a little, a little context it. on this, like I, I feel like in 2007, the whole like tribute band mania that has happened over the last 15 years, like was not yet a thing. You know, there were mm -hmm. probably there were like some Journey tribute bands and there were some Led Zeppelin tribute bands, but this whole like I feel like since we did this and we were a part of it and maybe both a symptom and a cause, but I, I feel like all of a sudden now, you know, it used to be, you would see a tribute band on maybe some small clubs websites, you know, on a random Saturday, but now it's pervasive across venues of all different sizes. And that was not yet a thing when we started. Yeah, you know, weirdly uh, slippery when wet are going to be featured on a show called clash of the cover bands on E network. So they've actually turned it into a TV show. <laughs> I've seen that, yeah. I think part yeah, of that I tried to watch some of that too. Um, I don't know. It's hard not to be jaded <laughs> when you're watching that stuff. Uh, part of that rise in the whole cover band, tribute band phenomenon, I think it really has to do with 
bands stopped getting signed out of Atlanta. There was a period in the early 2000s where a ton of bands out of Atlanta were getting signed, and then it just kind of stopped. The industry changed. I think a lot of people turned 35 and realized <laughs> You something to keep making money if we want to stay in this business. Yeah, we've got a few good ones in this town. Rumors does really well, right? And I think Electric Avenue, the 80s cover band, they're all over the place. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and it's all happened, you know, in the last 10, 10 ish years, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you guys in the early, I guess the, you, you guys ended up with a residency at Ten High for, that you did for four years doing yacht rock music, right? Which I guess for folks who, you know, by the time you're listening to this, I presume most people understand what that kind of means, but maybe you could help us define it for folks who may not be fully familiar with what that even entails. You're talking about Yacht Rock as a genre? Yeah, please, yeah, please define it. Yeah, And some people think you guys started it, but it actually was started by some guys out in the West Coast who did a web series and that, you know, and, and they're still around. You know, well, even, even that is even that is debatable. <laughs> the origin story is murky yeah okay. yeah i mean come on i think one of the um, best definitions of yacht rock that is so if you go into these yacht rock forums the best definition is everything is yacht rock and nothing is yacht rock because it's just there's just so much arguing about the minutia of what it is so it's like you know at this point we define yacht rock how we want to define it for our situation anyone else can say but if it yeah, to- you know, I guess they define it with the word smooth. It's got yeah. a little jazzy flavors to it at times. It's got a casual, but yet complicated feel at the same time. And I, I don't know. I think some of the definitions that the Yacht Rock, you know, collective, the, 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 the writers, comedians, you know, these, these guys that lit, still all live in Los Angeles that were friends from, you know, Michigan growing up. They, I think they have a really good algorithm in place that I would agree with, but it doesn't take into account an audience. Right, you know what right. I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's the difference is if it's not entertaining to people who want to pay money to go see a live show, then who cares if it's point whatever on their scale that they've invented, sure. you know, so and you, yeah, I, you the can. definition I largely agree with the outcome and the results are, are our decision you know so sure. yeah i could i could i could high five them all day about whether brandy qualifies as yacht rock or not it doesn't on this on their definition but as far but, but as it's a core song for you guys to hear it then you know we yeah, you guys call play it yacht that rock. yeah you guys play that almost every set right that's one of your Absolutely. four or five songs you feel like almost like baker street um there's a there's a few of them that you guys almost have to play right it's Africa. Yeah. I mean, so the, the definition of yacht rock is, uh, you know, soft rock music that was made primarily in Los Angeles between the years of 1976 and 1984, you know, usually by a group of session musicians. And there are songs that everyone can agree are definitely yacht rock, like What a Fool Believes by the Doobie Brothers or Africa by Toto. Like, you and know, the word fool is a big part of it. Like they consider even lyrics lyrics as something that are yacht rock and it has to be a specific consideration so you know that's that's where just because it's sailing doesn't mean it's yacht rock if they say the word <laughs> sailing that even though you would think i'm on a yacht right they don't uh, even allow yeah, does that songs make- about sailing to get a hall pass yeah i guess uh sail on by the commodores does that count because it has no the word way. sailing in it no no okay. way wow uh, but but sailing or by Christopher sticks. Cross, come sail away. Absolutely not. And yeah, wow. some of those other um, we I won't name them because it gives them too much power. 
but uh, <laughs> some of the other so-called yacht rock tribute bands out there, you know, will like make that come sail away a defining song. And I'm sure that that garners a lot of eye rolls from the from the OG yacht rock guys. Yeah, but by the way, my favorite, even though you're not going to mention it, my favorite pun is is yachtly crew. That that one I particularly like because it has kind of a double pun to it. But there's a bunch of them. You're right. <laughs> there are. Yeah, it's cool. They're all things that you could write on the inside of a bathroom stall, you know. <laughs> Paul and Boats. That's where those guys got their yeah. names. <laughs> I, I even saw an all-female one, which I, you know, with a female lead singers, which is kind of fun. So uh, mm-hmm. they, they do flo- they do float around, uh, literally. Um, but you guys, uh, which is kind of funny, is you guys, you know, started getting bigger and bigger. Uh, you were getting, you know, I guess weddings and people were just asking for you guys. And and then the sixth men folks who do the cruises, they, they, they put you guys on some of those cruises, right? With train and, and uh, you know, I, I think they did one with Sister Hazel, right? Their, their cruise. All Sister of Hazel. the Kid Rock, um, the Jillian Michaels Fitness Cruise. I mean, you know, that, <laughs> that, was, band, I heard that was a disaster. Zach Brown Band, Kiss. I mean, we we went all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Does it seem? Did it seem weird to do this on an actual boat, or it felt right? Once I got over being seasick, it felt right. (laughs) I don't think there is a more right, quote unquote, band for a large cruise ship. You know, I mean, as soon as I walk on there and you see that the actual captains of these boats, the people that work, are still wearing the nautical clothing, and then like. Nick and Pete show up singing lead vocals and they, you know, could easily get exchanged, you know, I guess if they walked up to the front of the boat, maybe they'd be allowed to drive it. Is that where they drive the boat in the front? I don't even know. I'm like at ease fore or aft. I'm not sure which is which. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's very, it's, it screams nautical. So I, you know, when we're playing the Lido deck and we're doing the Lido shuffle, is there any more, irony there that you know we're out on the love boat setting you know doing love boat era music i think we've played love boat in the the full-on regalia right so you've actually oh, yeah. sang the theme from love boat you're saying literally yeah yeah oh yeah monkey boy who wrote that it's jack uh jack he wrote it but he that's the singer jack johnson that's johnson sure it's johnson come aboard Wait, yeah, is, isn't there an act named Jack Johnson? Is that wait? I'm confused. Uh, yeah, he did a cover of a uh, Escape Pina Colada song, right? <laughs> oh man, the yeah, surfy Hawaiian Jack Johnson definitely did uh, uh, a Pina Colada cover that is difficult for me to swallow. The uh, so, so did Sugar Ray. They did, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the fashion <laughs> really quick. Uh, I'm switching <laughs> topics quickly since we brought up Sugar Ray. Get it back to Larry Crane. <laughs> no let's talk sugar ray the whole time uh well the fashion issue is like you know i guess the captain's hat has now become a defining visual element in the audience but you guys while i saw you guys in 2009 wearing the captain's hats i heard you guys kind of dump that regalia rather quickly why, why so well we realized i think an important part of people going to see music is you want to be like transported away to a different world and the captain's hat kind of makes you feel like the shtick is obvious whereas when we just wear cool looking clothes from the 70s we actually look cool and uh some might even go so far to say as sexy uh then you can really get into it and not 
like be elbowing each other. Oh, are you in on this joke? You're watching it and you're actually just in the seventies having an awesome time. Yeah. I guess wide lapels, um, you show off a little chest hair. It's very tight, right? All, all the clothing is extremely tapered and tight, right? It's not. Yeah. Got to You know, you gotta, gotta get that personal trainer working, you know, yeah. well, everybody was cocaine thin in the seventies and eighties. Right. Exactly. Twenties. Yeah, Nick, you're 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 pretty naturally skinny, yeah. Nick. So it's uh, it seems like you 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 fit in very well. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And how how about the choreography? Tell me a little bit about yeah. You, know, you and Peter often do a little a little bit of a shuffle of. Is that the the doobie bounce? Step. It's a sidestep. Yeah. Sidestep. Yeah. We we originated that. Well, I mean, you know, where originally I learned it was. Um, Mark Cobb and I met in the Indiana University Soul Review, which is a, a soul band that played all, you know, soul music from like 50s, Isley Brothers and James Brown, all the way through Prince and D'Angelo. And um, in that band, you know, when you weren't singing backup, you were you were part of the backup singers and the backup singers always kind of did the left and right um, sidestep thing. And then we started doing Yacht Rock and it reminded me of like my mom when she was in the kitchen listening to music, some of which was this kind of stuff like Hall and Oates and Prince. She both like both of those. And she would kind of do this little sidestep thing. And so when we were doing the show, it just felt kind of natural. Um, and it became its own like thing out of that. You know, the audience started doing it. And I think what really connects with people is it's this really simple dance to do and everyone can participate in it, you know, like we're up there doing that and you feel like, oh yeah, I can do that. Even if you can't dance a lick, you know? Yeah. Like the hokey pokey, you know, it's real highbrow <laughs> kind of stuff. <laughs> Let's take a short break and look at more events in and around Atlanta. In Terminus Modern Ballet Theater's Marley Was Dead to begin with, a riveting morality dance film based on Dickens' A Christmas Carol, the central, most complex, and most interesting character is not Scrooge, but Miss Marley. Yes, this version of the character is a woman, and like Scrooge's dead business partner Jacob Marley in the novel, she is a ghost. A fierce, funny, jealous, conflicted, tormented, and pushy ghost. And that's just for starters. Terminus performed Marley Was Dead live for the first time on December 10, 2021 at the Kennesaw State University Dance Theater. For those who missed it, the film version can be viewed online through January 4. Read more about that in a story from our partners at ArtsATL on AccessAtlanta.com. The entrance to The Art of Banksy Without Limits, which made its North American debut at Underground Atlanta and is in a four-month run, is actually an exact reproduction of part of a 2015 art installation in England by Banksy and other artists called Dismaland, a dystopian theme park that skewered the disposable cheesiness of life today. In other words, it's the Banksiest gateway possible. The Art of Banksy has been touring the world since 2016 and has been seen by more than 1.2 million people in 12 cities. The Underground Atlanta version is the biggest Art of Banksy yet, at 33,000 square feet, about double the usual space, with the most art yet, 158 works, including stenciled wall mural reproductions, original prints, lithographs, sculptures, videos, and multimedia installations. Read more about the show now in its final weeks on AccessAtlanta.com. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's continue our conversation with Yacht Rock Review. Well, in 2019, you guys released uh, an original album, and it includes a song called Step, right? <laughs> Literally, that, and you play it in concert. What a coincidence. It does. Yeah, Greg brought that idea to me one day over at, at my studio, and I remember him, he was, he was thinking about something more like uh, uh, kind of highbrow with like, stepping up in difficult situations or whatever which is what the song is about but then it just so happens to go along with our signature dance it worked out nicely in that way didn't you have a song called sidestep like one of the original when we did the first ep like you were talking about stepping around you know like if there's a problem you want to sidestep around it didn't you have something like that and that, that sounds like something i would do but i don't remember you had something called the sides on maybe that was a origin of that particular we used we used to do the song stepping out by joe jackson which Mm -hmm. again i would consider you know probably working in that yacht rock vein but i would say is considered not i mean you guys your your set list includes maybe half the songs that probably fit in that pure definition but you guys go go off uh off on tangents and i I don't care i I think it's fun i mean you, you play bgs uh, you know, you bring in your two backup female singers to sing Tina Turner and Denise Williams. Denise Williams is really off the mark, but it still works in concert. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the key. Like when, when people get there, they aren't ready to grade what is Yacht Rock and what isn't. They're ready to have a good time all the time. Would you say oh. the Boston song is probably our least Yachty song? That's probably no, more feeling that we play consistently. It probably is. Yeah. But man, it works. I mean, you, I, I was at, you know, you guys also own Venkman's in Old Fourth Ward. And um, I think that was your last song. You guys uh, closed out your set right before Thanksgiving with More Than a Feeling. And I, I don't think anybody really had any bad feelings about it that I could tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When the, when the claps come on the chorus, it's hard not to want to participate in that for sure. Um, like the hokey pokey. <laughs> exactly. And it's interesting, you guys do, uh, even though you're the lead singer, Nick, you, you do uh, provide, uh, you know, er, most everybody else gets to throw in their uh, their lead singing chops as well, right? It's, uh, is it just simply to provide the best voice for the best song? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about keeping keeping it interesting. You know, you when you go see a band and one guy sings, that's cool. But when everybody has a moment and some really strong point that they can bring, it's kind of like, a basketball team that has, you know, one guy that can score from anywhere, but maybe there's one guy who's really good at shooting threes and another guy who's just money in the paint and another guy who's got like a sick, uh, sick low post game. Like there, like there's, there are different ways to score. And I think that's kind of what our, that's what our fans are all about. They love to score. I think <laughs> that we've been in, we've all kind of, I think we've all fronted a band in some way or another. So I kind of define us as a band full of front men that play nothing but encores. That's kind of what our show is. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. 
that's true. And but it's funny. I spoke with Dave Freeman, your uh, your sax guy, and really no, I know it's spoken to Dave Freeman. <laughs> but but it's funny. He says he's happy. He was very happy when you guys added the two female backup singers because that took a, that. You know, he doesn't think he's a good singer, and he's happy not to sing if he doesn't have to. <laughs> he's perfectly happy just blowing his sax when he needs to. He's improved a lot at singing over the years and at keyboard too. When we first when he first took over keyboard duties, you know, he had gotten far enough in Indiana to to get through like the piano proficiency, but he was not an onstage keyboard player. And the first couple gigs with him on keys were pretty rough. And then he, uh, I mean, he's become an awesome onstage keyboard player. You know, he plays more keyboards than sax now. And he's improved a lot on vocals too. He's, Dave shouldn't sell himself short. <laughs> well, no. And I mean, just, I guess it was a few months ago, we started putting his keyboards into the, into the house mix so even though he's been playing, we can kind of hear it. It hasn't been really ready for consumption yet. Yeah, and so it, it, maybe mark next that's year not on, vocal mic yeah. will be on. His yeah, vocal mark, mic's not on. Let's not. <laughs> you can't hear what he's doing out there. Yeah, you're, you're, the other mark that's not on this podcast is the one who does the keyboards primarily. Right? Cool. Yeah, Mark yes. Bank. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I, I feel bad. I haven't spoken to him yet. He's the one guy I haven't spoken to. So sorry, Mark. Uh, but he's he's great doing his boss skags. I got to say that um, the uh, well, you guys uh, during the pandemic, you guys have toured a lot over the years with the pandemic, I guess, kind of shut that down. And how did you guys handle the pandemic? Um, poorly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I had some, some gloss. Things go great for me. No, um, I think that, you know, we were out on tour out in California when all this was going down and like we had, you had a new home. album to promote and everything, right? You had yeah, your- our album had come out like three weeks ago. Things were going awesome. And then things started to get weird. And then it charted on the billboard charts. It did. It made the billboard 100 and then seven baby. And then here we are like two weeks later having to decide, Oh, are we going to play in Sacramento tonight? And then it's, Gavin Newsom says, you know, no events of more than 250 people and we're flying home, like not wanting to touch anything on the airplane. Like it was terrifying. And we ended up, uh, you know, I ordered a COVID test at home, which was like $300 at the time. And um, so then we kind of went into our holes for a little while and then it, it became clear, you know, I just needed to do something to deal with all this anxiety because like our business was totally shut down. We didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. You, you guys, know. you guys actually have a company called please rock and you guys have employees and you, you have benefits and every 401k for everybody. Right. So this is a real deal. And suddenly like you can't pay people. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's the band, it's the crew, it's the office staff at home. It, you know, so we were like, man, what are we going to do? So we started doing these, um, live stream shows just like from my studio at home uh and ask people to make venmo donations to help us keep our crew and our our staff just so everybody could still have health care that was the one thing we didn't want to lose during a pandemic right right and um so so we started doing that and it became a thing and then everybody you know greg did his on tuesdays and mark cobb had his wednesday night thing where he would play along with his puppets and whatever, like everybody had their own vibe that they created on their own night of the week. And our fans supported us through the pandemic and we were able to keep everybody having healthcare. My puppets are all still on healthcare. That's how right. well it went. 
Your, wow. your, puppets have, your puppets have Aflac. They're so Oh, weird. man. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'm getting, I, I looked on eBay earlier today and it looks like I've been outbid, but I might be able to get my hands on an Aflac puppet for the next one. Oh, nice. <laughs> the, um, well, <laughs> some of your fans actually on their very own, I mean, you guys didn't create this, it was purely organic. They created their own little fan club, right? Called the Anchorheads and they have their own page and their own merch and they, they you know, they're like deadheads, right? They, they just, tra they, they'll travel the country and, and you, I'm presuming you guys have seen them multiple times, right? Some of the members of the anchorheads. Yeah. Absolutely. It's pretty, awesome. yeah. it's, it's like the kind of fans that you always dreamed of having growing up, right? Like the people who like would do anything to see your band or like that night, you know, that you're talking about the night before Thanksgiving, I talked to a couple of girls who drove all day the day before from Cleveland to come down to see our band for one night and then they're going to drive home all day on Thanksgiving the next day to get back home to have Thanksgiving dinner with their, with their family and friends. I was like, I mean, it was just so powerful to that people love our band that much. I mean, it's so flattering. Oh, that is, that is. Um, and, and you guys, you know, looking forward for 2022, are you, I, what are your plans? I, I know you have this big um, steal away celebration in uh, Jamaica. <laughs> Is that right? In February with some of your fans? It's kind of, yeah. it's like a, it's like a boat trip without the boat, right? Yeah. All inclusive on the beach, four nights in Jamaica with us in Ambrosia and, um, Robbie Dupree. Yeah. It's going to be really fun. Um, we've got that. We've got a summer tour that we're going to announce in January across the country. Um, or maybe the announcements in February. I can't remember. We're working on that now. Um, but we're getting ready to go back in the studio and record a single and a B-side to release this summer. Um, we're aiming to record a live album over the course of the tour this summer and then hopefully be back in the studio to record a full studio album before 22 is out. So we've, we're filling it up. Stuff busy to do. year. It sounds like a busy year. Um, I, I know, uh, Nick, of all the band members, and, and it's amazing is that seven of the band members who did the first night of Yacht Rock back in 2007 are still part of the band. What, what do you think has kept you guys together all these years? Um, that everybody is a good person. I mean, that's really what it comes <laughs> down to. You know, being in a band is like being married to a bunch of people, right? And you have to all compromise and get along. You know, being good at your instrument is great, but what makes a band last are, are relationships. And um, we've been pretty lucky in that regard. Seeing that we actually had a future, we when it got to a point where like, like this is going somewhere um, and that you're making, you know, at least we were making a fairly decent living when we started. We were making enough to make it, you know, so you can, okay, I'm going to schedule this over anything else I was doing at the time. So I think that's very important, you know, because the older you get, you have to prioritize with things like that. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. You know, before we go, it, it's funny that Nick, you, you were the one who was probably most ambivalent about this from the get go. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I quoted you back in 2009 and, and you expressed that ambivalence. I mean, where, where are you at now? Now, now that this has gone, you know, you're in year 14 here. Um, how are you feeling? I'm glad I have a chance to set the record straight here, Rodney. Uh, <laughs> um, because I, you know, that, that article came out and immediately I had a call from Robbie Dupree. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, Robbie Dupree sang Steal Away, Big Hit. And he was like, hey, man, why are you always trying to sink your own ship? Why are you always going to say bad stuff about your band? And I was like, 
dude, that was what I said in 2009. You know, I don't feel that way. We've talked about this a thousand times, but yeah, when, I mean, when we started, I was very much like angsty, too cool for school, uh, lead singer of a yacht rock band. Right. Like I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I was above doing that. And that like my poetry was going to change the world and like over, you know, I've gotten older and certainly more jaded thanks to monkey boy. Um, but also I've just, <laughs> I am that a, little pill that he, everyone needs to take every once in a while. <laughs> I mean, I've come to appreciate like what music is really about is connecting people. It's not about like the words or the accuracy or the, you know, it, it is art and that part of it is important, but what it's really about is making people feel good, like both on stage and off stage. And that part of our band is, it's so rewarding and I love it. I love I love being in our band now. I have That's no, crazy. I have zero beef with being in our band. Awesome. For me, I don't think there's another, I don't think there's another band in the world that we could be this diverse where we can go and do, you know, we can play, we can still go do a Beatles show and have it well attended. We can do a Pink Floyd show, have it well intended and still uh, it be very musically challenging. It's not like we're up there just playing three, which and I love the Ramones. I love bands like that, but it's never boring. Um, maybe the travel sometimes itself it can be a little re can be a little uh, redundant but um but the music itself it never gets boring well thank you monkey boy thank you nick thank you mark cobb uh, you're welcome you know it's uh it's an amazing story and there's still more story to tell and uh, i know you guys have had like a documentary crew follow you around over the years maybe that documentary will finally uh, come to pass at some point as well don't uh, count on it Ah. Yeah, <laughs> there's all sorts of footage. It's like lost footage, like the uh, Get Back documentary with uh, with. The it's going to be like plus. heavy metal parking lot, where it will surface <laughs> one day and 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 have a cult like status. I hope so. I hope so. Well, well thanks, guys. Uh, good luck. And uh, yeah, this is Rodney Howe with you, Atlanta from the Constitution. The AJC brings you the best of what's happening in and around Atlanta on AccessAtlanta.com. Here's a taste of what you'll find there. There's a lot to be gleaned about people based on the material goods they choose to surround themselves with. That is the central theme of The Sum of Trifles, a profound and engaging meditation on personal possessions by North Carolina author Julia Ridley Smith. Along with her brother, Smith was tasked with dispersing her parents' things after their deaths just six months apart. Her parents were not hoarders, per se, but they were second-generation antique dealers whose passion for beautiful things was reflected by their huge collection of 18th and 19th century furnishings and decorative arts. As she sorts through her parents' belongings, making the difficult decision of what to keep, sell, donate, and discard, Smith contemplates possessions, the buying and selling of them, the reasons they're valued, the stories we tell ourselves about them, and 11 linked essays. Read more about this new collection on AJC.com. The 2012 film Magic Mike and its sequel, Magic Mike XXL, propelled Channing Tatum into the stratosphere and led to a popular Magic Mike live show in Vegas. The brand has now been transformed into an HBO Max reality competition show called Finding Magic Mike, featuring 10 regular guys seeking their inner confidence through strip dancing on stage in front of screaming ladies. The winner pockets $100,000. The judges include Magic Mike actor Adam Rodriguez. One of those 10 guys is an Atlanta stuntman who even tried out for that Magic Mike live show years ago, but didn't get far. Read more about this new show on Rodney Ho's radio and TV talk blog at accessatlanta.com. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to ajc.com and accessatlanta.com. 
The podcast is edited by Tyson A. Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin. And I'm your host and the AJC's arts and entertainment editor, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.